Travis, I'll turn this thing on in case I need to, to flip over. I don't want to uh, scare anyone else with the sound system crackling if needed. But uh, we are thankful that you're here this morning. I'm especially thankful to those who have led us so far in our worship service this morning. We're grateful that you are here. It's a great day to be together. A lot of great things that are going on, and we're thankful to that. We hope that you'll stay and be a part of lunch if you can. And we also would love for you to stay and be a part of our afternoon singing service. We look forward to that time together. And certainly as well, uh, the car care clinic this afternoon, uh, we look forward to a good time of fun for the young people, but also hopefully helping uh, some of our older folks who might need help. One more reminder uh, from here from the pulpit that we hope that you'll be with us next Sunday as well. Uh, we will look forward to a good morning together of class and worship. Uh, we haven't put out a, a sign-up sheet. I'm kind of now remembering off the top of my head. Uh, but usually we uh, just do pizza uh, for the afternoon lunch, as my wife is giving me the shocked face now. She's remembering, too. Uh, we usually ask for who all would stay, uh, and we just usually get pizza. And that way we are all not worried about cleaning up and that kind of thing uh, so that we can have lunch together and then get started with finishing setting up for our vacation Bible school. And we'll make sure and get that out there, absolutely, because we want to get a count of how much to order but we'll have lunch of just pizza next Sunday, but then look forward to a great afternoon together. Um, we hope that you can bring maybe your grandchildren or some of your family or friends. There are some flyers on the table in the foyer uh, that you can take and, and put up around town or pass out to some of your friends uh, and let them know that we'll be gathering and having a great afternoon together. We want you to stay and be a part of that. I want to echo what Brian has said. I, I want to make a joke first, but then be serious. I, I want to be sure that I'm not judged uh, I only judged on how long the sermon is and not whether or not you beat everybody else to lunch if you go out to lunch in the afternoon uh, because our services have run a little long. In fact, Gabe came last Sunday after he had been sleeping after uh, working all night and he said, did, did y'all have a baptism or something going on because I, I come late and yeah, everybody's still here. Uh, but we'd had a great service. We'd had a couple of responses. Uh, and so I just want to make sure I'm not judged on whether or not you beat everybody to lunch but that the sermon's not, not too long. That's the joke, but the serious part, of course, is, is that I would rather uh, listen to Tom Levi and Robert Smith myself many times uh, as they pour out their hearts and pour out their thoughts before us, and that's just very, very encouraging, and we're thankful that we could be a part of that today. If you have your Bible, you'll want to be turning to 1 Samuel chapters 8, 9, and 10, or thereabouts, 1 Samuel chapters 8, 9, and 10. If you have a bulletin in front of you or you get the bulletin in your email or you notice sometimes the sermons that are coming, you may have seen the title this morning and been a little confused. Uh, as you see on the screen here, we are actually not going to talk about the four different countries you usually hear the phrase or the idea of the United Kingdom, you probably think of the four countries that are in green here on the screen, but that's not actually what we're going to be talking about this morning. It may be that when you hear the United Kingdom that you think about uh, the Union Jack or the flag that is so well known around the world, but we're going to talk about the United Kingdom, but we're not going to talk about that flag. Or it may be that you think of people who are dressed up and who are smiling and usually have all this pomp and circumstance and things around them. We are talking about the United Kingdom. But no, we are not going to talk about, in particular, that family that we often call the royal family. We are going to talk, though, about something that is called the United Kingdom. As we have been working our way through this series that we've called Sunday School Catch-Up, we have tried to take a large overview uh, of sections of Scripture. 
I've been using a book by our brother Roger Campbell as some of the guides for my thought that he entitles an overview of the Bible. We looked at it together here several years ago, and he calls them mountain peaks, mountain peak moments. Because when you open your Bible and you look at a good over half to maybe two-thirds of your Bible that falls under the Old Testament when it comes to word count, it's very confusing at times. And we're not sure where we are or what we're talking about. So it helps to try to hit these mountain peak moments. We have talked about the creation. And we have talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All in the book of Genesis. Before we move on to Exodus. And we start talking about uh, Joseph, which is actually, excuse me, in the book of Genesis. But we've talked about the Exodus. We've talked about Moses. We've talked about Joshua. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the book of Judges. This morning, we want to do our best to make the United Kingdom as easy, if you have a bulletin in front of you, as one, two, three, to kind of take an overview at what this next section of Scripture is. Now, one of the things I was going to use in our notes is, if you open here to 1 Samuel, when you think about the United Kingdom, you can oftentimes think about 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Now, not the entire books. If we really wanted to break it down, we would just look at certain chapters of those books. But this is the section of history, the section of Scripture where we are. Let's begin trying to make it as easy as 1, 2, 3, though, with saying that there is one kingdom. It is called the United Kingdom. Now, as Brian said a moment ago, to kind of clear up any misconception, we sang about a kingdom in a sense, and we sang about the king being King Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not yet, of course, to Jesus being born or Jesus' reign here on earth. Before then, he is going to ascend to heaven and reign from there. But when we think about one kingdom, this has always been God's desire for his people, that they be united, if you will, in one kingdom. It goes as far back as Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 7, where God says that I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Now, back in Exodus, this is not the section of history that's the United Kingdom, but he's making the point that he wants his people to be united. We sometimes lament the fact that around this country and around this world, we live in a nation and in a world that's divided religiously. That's a whole other lesson for another time, but there's a reason for that. But people are divided. They are not united. And you may recall that Jesus' prayer what we sometimes refer to as the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, not the place you may commonly think of it being located, but his prayer, he is begging for unity among God's people. God has always desired that his people be united. Now, as we move into this portion of Israel's history, there are two main divisions. And you may have already figured out that if we're talking about the United Kingdom today, that soon enough we will come back and talk about the divided kingdom. We will come back and get to that. But this is the one kingdom. Now, in one sense, the people have been united before this. They have been one group of people, the children of Israel. But we're going to see why this becomes a kingdom with a king and then why it's going to be divided as we move through this lesson and as we think about the future. The reason that it's going to turn divided in a little while down the road is because the two of this lesson this morning are the two wills that have been mentioned. If you're there in 1 Samuel, turn to chapter 12 and notice in verse number 12, first of all, the will of God. There are two wills that we're looking at here to 
to discuss and understand the united kingdom that will become divided eventually. God's will is they be, God's desire is that they be united. He says in 1 Samuel 12, 12, No, but a king shall reign over us. That's what they are saying to God. When the Lord your God was your king. That's what God's will is. God's will is that they be united, but not under some man, but under him, that he would be king. That's God's will. But the second will that we want to make mention of this morning, of course, is the people's will, the will of the people. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I don't know if you mark in your Bible, but this is one of those great places, because as you turn here in the future, if you want to, you can make a note and understand the change in the history of the children of Israel. I have around chapters 8 and 9 written in the margins, United Kingdom. This is where this is going to begin. But in particular, the reason why is the will of the people. And if you like to circle verses or underline verses five, verse 5 of chapter 8, verse 5 of chapter 8 is where it occurs. Because the will of the people is, they say to the elders of Israel in verse 4 and to Samuel, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Don't miss it. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But notice in verse 6, also important to the story, Samuel is not happy about this. He knows that this will does not match God's will. These things are not going to go together. It's a problem. It displeases him, the new King James says. So he does what we would hope he would do. What we should do in that he prays to the Lord. And so to understand the will of the people, you have to go down to verses 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the people refused. They refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, No, but we will have a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. If you happen to underline chapter 8 and verse 5, it is worth noting that the world turns on this verse to some extent. The, the, the course of history changes in that moment when the people say, we don't want you, God, as our king, because he made mention that that was his desire, but we want a king and a king like everyone else around us to judge us, to fight our battles, and to lead us. We're going to get to three lessons in just a moment when we come to the end of the lesson. But this is very important to understanding the united kingdom that will then become the divided kingdom. They want a king. That's their will. It's not God's will, but that is their will. So when we see that there is one kingdom and two wills, we then want to notice that with the united kingdom, there are three kings. There are three Kings. There are three names that you know very well. This is where I've struggled a little bit with this Sunday school catch-up series because if we really want to dig back into things we might have forgotten or maybe things some of you say, I never learned that, we would spend maybe a week or two on these three kings. But for the sake of time this morning, we will try to hit the highlights of their lives. There are three kings who are going to serve under this period of history called the United Kingdom. The first one, of course, is Saul. 
Now, I, I told you to turn to 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Samuel. It's in chapter 10 in verse number 1 that we see that Samuel, that's important to note, Samuel is going to come with a flask of oil and pour it on his head. His head? No, that's the head of Saul. Saul is anointed as king. He pours it on Saul's head and he kisses him and anoints him as the first king of the United Kingdom. And we're going to see that Saul is then going to begin to reign for 40 years. 40 years in this United Kingdom. He will serve as king. Now the important thing as we think about the life of Saul is that Saul is at this time the best man for the job. He's the best man for the job. He begins with a humble attitude. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verses 20 and 21. Even before he's actually anointed as king, but this, he's beginning to be selected. He says in verse 21, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? And again, he's talking to Samuel. They're having this interaction. But Saul is humble. He begins as a humble man who is small in his own sight. However, sadly, he finishes as a disobedient man. He showed himself to be a failure when he rejected the word of God more than once. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to have to hit the highlights and kind of take these in general. But 1 Samuel 13, chapter, uh, verses 8 through 14. Excuse me, verses 8 through 14 of chapter 13. He does not want to wait on the proper person to come and offer the sacrifice. So he takes it into his own hands. Notice in verse 8 and verse 9. And then that, that haunting feeling that we all get when we do something wrong sometimes in verse 10. As soon as he had finished, he realizes the problem. He knew the problem. We already read that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was not authorized to offer a sacrifice. He offers an unlawful sacrifice. He is not obedient. But notice again in 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 3 and then on down through part of the rest of the chapter. They are told to go in verse number 3 to utterly attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But notice down in verse number 9. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised, everything that's worthless, that they utterly destroyed. You see, Saul begins with a humble spirit as someone who is probably the best man for the job, but he's going to finish in a disgrace, disobedient, someone who did not do what he should. And in fact, what's going to happen then, and this, some of this you know, again, for the sake of time, we can't cover it all, but David is going to become popular with the people as Saul is falling away, and then there's that tension between David and Jonathan and David and Jonathan and Saul and all that takes place there that you may recall from previous Bible studies. But David becomes popular with the people, and so Saul begins to want to kill him. But he reigns for 40 years, which leads us to then number two. Our second king in the United Kingdom then is the reign of King David. 
the reign of King David. And just as Saul had done, David is going to reign for 40 years. And not only that, but just as the prophet Samuel had anointed Saul to be king, so he will David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He is also, Samuel is also going to anoint David to be king. Now, we come to a man here who truly needs no introduction, right? We could spend two or three or four weeks on David, but you're familiar with much of his life and the story of his life. But David, of course, has a good beginning. It's not in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know that, or at least the, the verse we commonly refer to is actually found in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 22. But there, as Paul is preaching in Acts 13, he makes mention of the fact that David was a man after God's own heart. It's said in a similar way as we go back to the Old Testament, but we sometimes think about Paul's statement there in Acts 13 that David was a man after God's own heart. David also began well. After Samuel anointed David, he didn't immediately become king. That's one thing that gets a little confusing if you start trying to read scripture and break it down. It's not necessarily a cut and dry moment where Saul's dead, David's anointed, and he starts serving. There's a, bit, a little bit of overlap there. First, he serves Saul as a harp player and a soldier. And he only is going to later serve as king after the death of Saul. It was under David's time on the throne that Jerusalem became the capital. You know Jerusalem, right? Everybody talks about Jerusalem being this, this great place it is. But it's really under the reign of David in the United Kingdom during this time period that Jerusalem becomes the capital and the most prominent city of all Israel. And of course, as you may already guess, as we've said about Saul, David began well but had his issues we know from all the way forward in 2 Samuel chapter 11 through chapter 12 that David's reign went pretty smoothly until, of course, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and tried to cover it up by having her husband put to death. David is a man after God's own heart. He brought Israel to prominence. The one other thing that we make mention sometimes about David, though, was that he was not able to build the temple. He wanted to build the temple of God. The temple of God, so to speak, had been moving around, right, with the tabernacle. David says, we have houses, and we've got nice houses. And the temple of God, the house of God, is a tent. It keeps getting moved around. He wanted to build the temple, but he, because he was the man of bloodshed, he was not able to do that. He was not able or not allowed by God to do that. And that's okay because then that leads us to our third king under the United Kingdom. And that, of course, is Solomon, who is going to serve as the third king. Like the two kings that preceded him, you may have already filled it in in your outline, but Solomon is going to reign for 40 years. It's a nice, neat little package if you try to remember the United Kingdom, three kings, each serving for 40 years. He is going to be the last Israelite in history to rule as a king over a united Israel, working together, serving God. Now... Again, as I mentioned that you could already see where we're going with the 40 years, you might can guess where we're going with Solomon as well. The reign of Solomon got off to a good beginning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 3. Notice we've skipped a lot of, of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel as you think about the 40 years of Saul and the 40 years of David. 
We come to 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and David is then going to die in chapter 2 and verse number 10 and Solomon is going to take over. Solomon got off to a good beginning in two ways. First of all, 1 Kings 3 and verse number 3. The Bible plainly states that Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. And he was walking in the statutes of his father, David. He got off to a good beginning. But not only that do we see in 1 Kings 3, 3, but secondly, when God told him that he would give him anything that he desired, in chapter 3 there, going further down to verse, verses 7 through 11, he wisely says and asks the Lord for wisdom to discern between good and evil and to rule God's people well. And God is pleased with Solomon's request and blessed him not only with incredible wisdom, but also with great wealth, with great material blessings as well. And so one of Solomon's greatest accomplishments is that he is the one who's going to build the temple, this magnificent temple. If you were with us back in, was that February? It may have spilled over into March. But we talked about Ezra and Nehemiah as we talked about the Bible Bowl for the last leaders program. We talked about Ezra and Nehemiah. Do you remember in those books that as the people came out of captivity back to the temple and the rebuilding of the temple, the older people cried? Why did they cry? Because they remembered Solomon's temple and it was not, this new one was not that. It was not the great work that Solomon had done. During the reign of Solomon, Israel was at its peak of military might. And it ruled over the largest territory in all of Israel. But as you know, if you know anything about Solomon, he got off to a good foot, but he did not finish well. Solomon foolishly, foolishly married many foreign wives, women that were not servants of Jehovah God. And his union led them to a spiritual, led him to his own spiritual downfall. Now, we're going to get to some points in just a moment. Sometimes as we talk about this, we make a joke maybe about men and women or husbands and wives and, and women leading men astray. But as we're going to talk about in just a moment, it's not just women, it's not just men, but it's anyone who would not serve God can lead the people of God astray. Solomon's departure from God in connection with the manner in which he had caused so much of Israel to begin to worship idols meant that he had laid the groundwork for the division that is coming. You see, we've covered 120 years very quickly here. And it's hard to do that in a sermon. It's hard to be able to get into more detail. But all of this united kingdom equals about 120 years. And we go from a united kingdom in which the people of God are serving him and he is ruling as king to a time in which they're going to be divided. They're going to be led by men. They're going to be serving idols. And the divided kingdom is not a fun study at all. It's not encouraging in any way. When we think about the United Kingdom, though, as we begin to close here, let's think about three lessons. Three lessons. Hopefully you can see that. That's a little dark on the screen there, darker than I thought it would be. I apologize. The first lesson is being like everyone else has never worked out spiritually speaking. A few quick lessons. The first one, being like everyone else has never worked out spiritually speaking. This is where the whole thing starts, right? 
We mentioned a few moments ago from 1 Samuel chapter 8. The whole united kingdom, the whole world turning starts with them saying, we want to be like everyone else. Standing out and being different is usually pretty tough. Even people that we look at funny, maybe they're wearing a weird kind of clothing or they've got a bunch of piercings or something's different about them than what we might call normal, we might think of as being normal. They're standing out, and there's something deeper at play there, but standing out is difficult. Now, they may be uncomfortable in their own skin. They may have some, some issues they need to deal with and, and all this, but can I tell you that when we want to look like everyone else, there are issues that are there as well sometimes. From the beginning, in Exodus chapter 23 and verse number 2, God says, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You shall not be like everyone else. From the beginning to the first century, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Paul says, evil company, bad company, corrupts good habits or good morals. You see, God said it through the mouth of Moses to the children of Israel. God said it by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of Paul to the first century Christians, which both of those are still speaking to us today from the beginning to the first century to now. From the physical boundaries that were given to the children of Israel where God said, do not live near, do not intermarry, do not be among the people. From those physical boundaries that were set up, being separate to even the name of the church. The idea of the New Testament, of being the called out, of being the separated. We sometimes say in the world, but not of the world. Being like everyone else has never worked out, spiritually speaking. It didn't for the children of Israel. It doesn't for us. We need to be different. We need to be separate. We cannot do what the world is doing when we know that the world is often at odds with God and think that we will be acceptable in His sight. Pretty plain and simple, even from an Old Testament example. Number two, a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. A good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. Now, I won't make you show your hands, but hopefully you remember, somebody at least recalls, that a month ago when we talked about the book of Judges, this was one of the lessons. Not just in the morning, but also in the afternoon when we talked about the life of Samson. Samson had a good beginning. He did not have a good ending. We know from Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 6, the encouragement to parents, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. You know, we've been talking on Wednesday nights, it's been mentioned about our money and our material blessings, and we say that what we want is for God to say, you've done this much, you've been this faithful, I will bless you with this amount of dollars. But it doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, Proverbs 22 and verse number 6 is similar. We want to say, I spanked them when they needed it. I raised them with rules. I told them what to do and what not to do. And that should mean that they'll never go wrong. And unfortunately, it's a biblical principle, a general principle, that when we train up our children in the way they should go, in the end, they will not depart from it. It's not a guarantee. It's not a promise. But it is a guideline. And sometimes, as some of you can attest to, children might lose their way, but hopefully they come back to it. 
But we realize that a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. There are countless examples, but one New Testament passage, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12. Hebrews 3, 12. The Hebrew writer says, Beware. I think that's the New King James. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It is possible that we can fall away. And so many people in biblical history did. Whether they had a bad beginning or a good beginning, they could and they did. And we can as well as we think about the children of Israel here and as we think about Saul and David and Solomon, who all got off on a good foot but did not end well. Third and finally, following God's instructions will always be important. Following God's instructions will always be important. One more time, a truth that always has been and always will be. Following and obeying God's instructions. We saw where Saul did not do that. We saw where David did not do that. And we know that Solomon did not do that. And because of that, all three were were punished in a way. All three had to suffer. And as I think about our lives, when we are disobedient, we have to suffer. Sometimes it's what we would call a slap on the wrist, right? It's a simple thing. Maybe we have to go through a time of suffering, but then it's gone, it's done, it's in our past. For some of us, we make a mistake that lasts a lifetime, so to speak. Something that we have to suffer the consequences of for years and years on end. Following God's instructions will always be important. And that's borne out across time. The instructions given to Adam and Eve, the instructions given to Noah, the instructions given to Abraham and Joshua, even until the great New Testament heroes and even unto today. Follow in the good examples of these kings and these men. Follow in the ways that they, were, that they got off to a good beginning. Don't follow in the ways of becoming disobedient. The United Kingdom is an important part of the history of Israel especially as you're going to as you see this change they want to be like everyone else hopefully you can be back with us and it'll be a week or two and next week next sunday morning god be willing we'll kind of set the stage for vacation bible school but we want to think about in in future lessons the divided kingdom and how this was a momentous moment in history as they began to divide and to fall away from god don't be that way be obedient to god be obedient to his commandments even as we've already talked about this morning We know that those commands have changed. We're not obedient in the same ways of sacrifices and and following God as he gave his will to those children of Israel. We see his simple plan of salvation on the screen as it's borne out on the pages of the New Testament. You can do what they did in the first century. You can be faithful like they were and you can receive the same thing that that they heard as they ended their life, as they heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We can Receive a reward if we are faithful. But that begins by being obedient to the plan of salvation. Being baptized for the remission of your sins. Allowing God to add you to his church. Where there are all spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. Brother or sister, maybe you're here this morning and you've done that but you've wandered away. Maybe it's something in your life that's caused you to be disobedient. Maybe you realize like the children of Israel how difficult it is at times to follow God. We're thankful that it's not a one time you mess up and it's over that you can return to him and you can come back and repent of your sin, confess those to God. He is willing and faithful to forgive. 
We're thankful for the blessings of God, the lessons of the Old Testament that we can learn from and make a change. We'll be singing to encourage you to do so as we stand together and as we sing.